The presenting sponsor of Behind the Beak is Down in Front Productions. DIFP is a video production company located in Birmingham, Alabama that strives to provide high-quality video services for your business or event at very competitive prices with a personal approach. They specialize in sporting events, weddings, and business videography, but also provide recording and video editing work for other events such as seminars, commercials, and concerts. Give Dustin and the crew a call at 205-588-0868 or visit them at difpbham.com. That's D-I-F-P-B-H-A-M.com to see how they can help you. Down in Front Productions, the presenting sponsor of Behind the Beat. Behind the Beat, the official podcast of Jacksonville State Athletics. Now, here's your host, Tyler Brown. Hello, everyone, and welcome into Behind the Beat, the official podcast of Jacksonville State Athletics. I'm Tyler Brown, alongside my co-host, Avery Davis, and today is Tuesday, October 13th. This is episode number 43. In a few minutes, I'll be sitting down with junior offensive lineman Michael Shaddix to talk about this football season, his return from a torn ACL he suffered last season, and preview the UNA matchup, his interview, in just a few moments. But first, a few quick items. Last week's guest was tight end Trey Berry. The senior is currently one of 250 college football players on the watch list for the Reese's Senior Bowl following an injury-shortened junior year. He talks about his return to the field and what it means to be playing his final season of football despite the COVID-19 pandemic. To listen to previous episodes, Behind the Beat can be streamed at jsugamecocksports.com slash podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. On Saturday, Jacksonville State football claimed a 34-28 win over the Mercer Bears. It was the first game of the season for the Bears, the second one for the Gamecocks. After a 100-yard kickoff return to put the Bears up 7-0, Jacksonville State jumped into the driver's seat. Alan Karadzic had two field goals. Quarterback Zarek Cooper had two rushing touchdowns. Nicario Harper picked up a 64-yard fumble recovery for a touchdown, and then Pat Jackson, the running back, had a two-yard rush for a touchdown. And Avery, big note from that game was Jacksonville State's 24 points in the second quarter were the most points scored in a single quarter since 2015 when Jacksonville State did it against Sam Houston State semifinals of the FCS playoffs. And so a fantastic showing by the Gamecocks at home. You can still you can tell they were a little rusty. They were playing against a Mercer team that was fresh. But I think uh, just like we did against Florida State, it looked like Mercer kind of ran out of gas near the end. And it was a difficult game, especially for the Gamecocks against a Mercer team who was really ground and pound. Uh, obviously, we saw that they weren't a team that likes to throw it a lot. And with the weather conditions that we had on Saturday, it was it was a game that kind of played to their favor, especially uh, the big running back that they had that just seemed to get five yards of carry that was just wearing down the defense. And then we had some guys out on the defensive front that was made that a struggle as well. And then uh, back to the kicker, Karajic, hitting those two field goals in the weather, in the wind. Uh, so that was pretty impressive to see that. And then Zarek Cooper, great showing. Uh, and then the defense really stepped up towards the end to, to seal that win. We'll talk about a little bit with Michael Shaddix later, but the offensive line did a great job blocking for the running backs. JSU runners averaged more than three yards per carry in the game, which was very sloppy. Uh, Hurricane Delta, which turned into Tropical Storm Delta, 
dumped a ton of rain at Birch Snowfield, and you know, just like it would happen uh, as soon as the game was over, the sun came out and it dried everything up. But even though it was a sloppy game, Jackson State did a good job on the ground. The offensive line did a good job of blocking. Like you mentioned, the defense was tight. There were a few holes there, you know, especially on the ground. They had a little bit of trouble plugging, but the defensive line had some guys out. Robert Johnson, a freshman from Carrollton, Georgia, was making his first start, and so he got to see kind of his first game action. Even though he had a few guys out, Jackson State still did a really good job of containing a Mercer team that you really didn't know anything about. New coach coming in, Drew Chronic, who was coming from Lenore Ryan, who kind of run that same triple option. So we had an idea of what he was going to do, but we didn't know what kind of talent Mercer had. And so a good showing by the Gamecocks. And they will follow that up with another game on Saturday at UNA. 1 p.m. start over in Florence. So three games in a row for Jacksonville State. And obviously they'll wrap up the fall portion of their season two weeks from now at FIU in Miami. But a 1 p.m. start in Florence. It'll be the Gamecocks' first trip to Brawley Stadium since winning the 1992 Division II National Championship over Pittsburgh State. The Lions are coming off a 28-7 loss to a very good Liberty team on October 3rd. So North Alabama 0-1 coming into this one. Some records to watch moving forward. Quarterback Zarek Cooper moved into second all-time for JSU in passing yards, passing quarterback Ed Lett. And Trey Berry moved into second all-time for receiving yards for a JSU tight end. Jacksonville State football was not the only team in action on Saturday. The JSU rifle team picked up a win over UTEP. The Gamecocks turned in a final aggregate mark of 4,636, which was 66 points better than UTEP's final tally of 4570. JSU posted a 23-28 in air rifle and added a 23-08 in small bore. Jack State was led by junior Mackenzie Van Patten, who accumulated a 1165 to claim medalist honors. She was two marks ahead of JSU newcomer Kim Jettenberg, who finished with an overall score of 1,163. Van Patten carded the top score in air rifle at 586, while Jettenberg was the top finisher in small bore at 585. In our NFL update, Saran Neal played last week but didn't record any stats in the Buffalo Bills 30-23 win at the Las Vegas Raiders. He plays tonight against the Tennessee Titans in Nashville in a game he may see more action. At this point, cornerback Tredavious White remains a game-time decision, and the other cornerback for the Bills, Levi Wallace, is out for tonight. So Saran Neal being a cornerback safety hybrid he may see some more action tonight for the bills so that's something you can watch to see if the former gamecock gets some time tonight and record some stats for us josh pearson remains on the buccaneers roster after being elevated from the practice squad last week and troy main pope was activated for the los angeles chargers for the monday night game against the new orleans saints but did not play in the 30 to 27 loss that's everything new happening around athletics and now it's time for today's featured guest Michael Shaddix has been one of the biggest personalities on the football team from rocking a mullet to getting retweeted and reposted for his ridiculous photo shoots. Less than a year removed from an ACL tear that ended his 2019 season, the Fort Payne native is leading a group of four pigs on the offensive line that has shown immense improvement since last year. Here to talk about the team's performance thus far, his return to the field, and his journey to Jacksonville State is this week's guest, Michael Shaddix. Joined on the podcast this week by Redshirt Junior Offensive Lineman Michael Shaddix. Michael, thanks for coming on with us. I appreciate having me. Well, first of all, I feel like I have to ask you about the mullet. Uh, where did the mullet come from? Why did you decide to go with that one? Uh, well, I think it was my redshirt freshman year. I was growing my hair out to donate it. 
So I, I ended up, I grew it for about a year and a half, and I donated it. And then I sat there, and I was like, you know what? I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna pull a mullet off. <laughs> so I did it, and and like, I think last year everybody would, everybody would just recognize me as the man with the mullet. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I guess it's a staple now. I guess I got, I guess I keep it. <laughs> and who, do, who do you donate through? Uh, well, it, I think it was Pantene because I was gonna do Locks of Love, mm -hmm. but I think they they do like they charge the kids for mm -hmm. the wigs or something so i was like i don't i don't really like that part about it so i think i did it through pantene and, and you know like i only did two uh two locks mm -hmm. which is eight inches in a braid and if if it's not enough for a wig they make it into dolls for the kids and stuff so i really that was something i liked about them so i donated it through them is that the first time you had done something yes, like sir. that is that something you plan on doing in the future too? Uh, honestly, I, yeah, I'm thinking of, like, I don't know. I don't know if I want to cut the mullet yet, but, <laughs> but you know, when it's time to get a job, I might, I might cut it <laughs> off and donate it again. It might be one of those things you could go just after the season. Yeah. As soon as the season's done, say, okay, starting over. I got to figure <laughs> out what I want to do next. <laughs> you also found some fame last year through uh, Old Row. Yeah. Uh, tell me, tell me about that photo and how it found traction. So, you know, we just, they asked me to go do the photo shoot and I was like, sure. And then, uh, they're like, do you want to do any poses yourself? I was like, sure. So, you know, I hit the Heisman pose cause why not? And then I was like, I want to do this one. So I, you know, I, I didn't think nothing about it. I just did it cause I just thought it was just for, just to be funny. And so I sent it to my buddy and I was like, what caption should I put on Instagram? And so, yeah, I think you said this is how quarantine's going or something like that. So I did it and you know, uh, I wasn't thinking nothing about it, just to get laughs, you know, just make people laugh. And then I think one of my buddies tagged Old Road Sports in it, and then I saw Old Road <laughs> liked it. And the next thing I know, I'm on their page. I think I, I think that was the most likes I ever got on any picture on Instagram. I think I got like 800. I got like probably 50 new followers. Like <laughs> I was like, my phone was blowing up all day. I was like, that gone. I was not expecting that. They put your Instagram handle on it. Did you get yeah. any messages? Uh, I think a couple. I think people would like would send it to me and be like you're cracking me up. This is funny. <laughs> yeah, I was. My phone was stay blowing up for that day. For those that don't know, it's it's you laying there on your side holding the football, the jersey pulled up uh -huh. over the belly, and yeah. I think that's the one that they would normally consider like peak athletic performance it is. when you see it on posters. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, it's pure athleticism. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't. It just I. I just in the moment stuff just comes to me. I just do it because I'm like, you know what? That's probably that's gonna make for a funny moment one day, and it did. And you know what? <laughs> yeah, I'd probably do it again if I could. Our graphics designer sent me a text the other day, and he said, "Do you know anybody that has a bear rug that we could just Photoshop under that?" He said that would be the perfect oh, perfect photo be. for that. That would so. be nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, Michael, you're a redshirt junior this year. You're from Fort Payne, Alabama, just an hour up the road, hour and a half up the road. And you've got your brother on the team this year, Matthew Shaddix, wide receiver. What's it like to have your brother on the same college football team? I know it's special when you're in high school, mm -hmm. obviously, but then having him come to the same university as you and play on the same team, what does that mean? It means a lot, you know, because like, like, like I tell everybody, we're each other, we're each other's biggest fans, but also we're our biggest critics, you know, like, and for him to come here, like he had, he had a couple offers out of high school. And I think he picked it. He got this offer late in the recruiting process. But, you know, like, I think it's just a chance that, you know, we never got to play in high school together because I was a senior. 
he was a freshman and he got hurt his freshman year, which I think he would have played because they played. We had a lot of freshmen play that year, and so we never got the opportunity to play with each other. And I think that's what I enjoy most about him being here is the opportunity I could possibly have to play with him and be on the same field with him at a college level, which not a lot of not a lot of brothers get to do that because you know sometimes brothers one will go to a big school and then one will go to a small school or you know. So I, it's just very special that we're on the same team and, and at a college level. And to look at you guys, very different yeah. when it comes to body type. He's he's an inch shorter than you and a few pounds lighter than you. <laughs> who took after who in the family? See, that's what we've always wondered because <laughs> my mom and dad are always like, my mom, I get my height from my mom. My about 5'11". She played softball and volleyball here. And uh, – my dad, he's probably six foot. See, my my brother gets the speed from my dad, and I guess I get my height from my mom. But like my my grandparents, when they were uh, when they were young, they weren't like big. They were they were like just normal. But well, we've always tried to figure out where my size comes from. <laughs> I would guess it's my on my gra- my dad's side because my granddad was a he wasn't like big, but he was a bigger person. So uh, we don't know. <laughs> You mentioned the recruiting just a few minutes ago with your brother having a few offers, and then obviously you were here as well. You were recruited. Uh, I know you attended a few games as a senior mm-hmm. whenever you were looking at Jacksonville State. Tell me about that process and what made you look at Jacksonville State. And I think, you know, being just a few minutes up the road, mm-hmm. I know there's some guys that I've talked to that whenever they start getting recruited by Jacksonville State, especially some out-of-state guys, they never knew about Jacksonville State. So tell me about your familiarity so, with JSU. So, um, you know, in high school, uh, I came to a couple of games because, like, basically everybody in Fort Payne, either, like, that goes to college, they either go to Alabama, Auburn, or Jacksonville State. So, like, a lot of the teachers that teach at Fort Payne, there are a lot of, a lot of them are JSU grads. And so I would come to uh, – I came to a game with a few of my teachers, or I say teachers, he was one of my coaches. But we came down here for a game, I think, like 2014 – and then my mom, uh, when softball has their alumni alumni reunion, mm-hmm. she we come up here with her. And so I, I've always, I've known about it, but when I was a, when I was a senior in high school, uh, I was not highly recruited at all. I played defensive end, and uh, a couple of my buddies went up to a school in Lake Erie, Ohio. They're a D two school, and so I sent my film up there to them. And that coach contacted me, and they offered me they offered me a ninety five percent scholarship up there. And so uh, that's this is a funny story. So uh, I'm still coming. To, I still come to a couple of game visits here, and I told Coach Revis that I'd, I'd got a D2 offer, and he was like, "Just wait, we're we're still we're going we're going to offer you or something." And so about middle of Lake Erie season, their whole coaching staff gets fired. Like I, I've no I've not I've not heard a word from them for like three weeks. So I don't I don't know if my offer's still good, but I didn't tell nobody here that because mm-hmm. I was like because they might not offer me then. So yeah, so I, I come on an official visit, and they're still asking me if, if Lake Erie's uh, still interested in me, and we're like, we're just playing along with it. Like, yeah, they still they still like me and stuff, and just to, just to see if we could get an offer, and it worked. And I I I got I got a I got offered books right out of high school, which I mean, it's not it's not like that wasn't like a lot of money, but it was something. It was just something, you know, to get my foot in the door, just to get me here. That's what I wanted. I just I just needed an opportunity to to prove something because they recruited me. They told me like, hey. We like you. We want to convert you to an offensive lineman, which I never played offensive line in my life. I'll take that back. My first year at Pee Wee, I played an offensive line. 
So I hadn't played. I'd never played really offensive line until I got here, which I was I was ready for the challenge, you know, because like it was an opportunity to play Division One football. That's that was been my dream since I was a kid, just to play Division One football somewhere. And I I got the opportunity, so I just took it. Kevin Revis is your position coach. Tell me about Kevin Revis and what he means to you guys, and to be able to lead that War Pig unit. He's a guy that out of Ray County High School, he played at Tennessee his first year, transferred to Chattanooga. He was on a lot of championship teams at UTC. And then when he got to JSU, he was here for a lot of OVC championships with Jacksonville State. And so tell me about Revis and that unit that you guys have. Yeah, he's a, he is like a great coach. Like he, he's fun, like he knows what he's talking about and everything, like fundamentally, steps, everything. Like he knows what he's talking about. And I think that he really helped me out understand like how to become an offensive lineman because like – and I feel like that's not something easy to do because every position else, you're usually running forward. Everything you do at offensive line is backwards, you know. And, you know, he he was here when uh, they won the five straight and he saw the dominance of the offensive line that they had. And, you know, last year we didn't really have that dominant of an offensive line. And so now, you know, he's he's preaching to us dominance, dominance, dominance. And, you know, last week, I think when we played, we played Mercer, I think we had 51 knockdowns as a unit. And so, like, we're, we're, we're becoming more physical. And, you know, last year we were a young offensive line. Uh, we didn't have that many returning starters. I think, I think the only two returning starters we had was uh, Darius uh, – uh, we call him Pancake. I forgot his name. <laughs> Pancake. <laughs> if he hears this, he's going to get mad if he his last name. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it was me and him with only two like returning starters we had. So we were as a as a group, we were a young offensive line. But now, I mean, we're a year older, we're more, we're stronger, bigger, and we under we under we're understanding everything we're doing. And I think that's that's the big key this year is everybody understands what we're doing as a unit. Darius Anderson. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Pancake, if you hear this. <laughs> For the longest, I only knew him as Pancake. Yeah. <laughs> what positions did you play in high school? Because I know you played both sides of the ball. So I played defensive end, and then I was our long snapper. Uh, I self-claim All-State because <laughs> our kicker, he was All-State, so I was like, I was the one who snapped in the ball. So <laughs> he's the he's the kicker at Florida right now, Evan McPherson. Uh, and then uh, I was our tight end on like a heavy package. Like if we needed a fourth, it was like fourth and one. They just tell me to go in and hit that guy. So that's what I did. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't play much offense in high school. And who had ever heard of an All-American long snapper before Josh Brady? Uh, I don't know. I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't tell you one. <laughs> you're one of those guys that when you come in, you're having to learn the position. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned it just a few minutes ago. You guys were a very young offensive line last year. This year. That line is nothing but juniors, redshirt juniors mm-hmm. and true juniors. And Coach Gross talked about it in the presser that you guys were really young last year. You're still young this year, but you've got that extra year under your belt. Tell me about the difference between last year's O line to this year's O line. I think a lot of it's confidence. Like we know we 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 know what we can do and we know what to do. Last year, you know, we had a couple of people that hadn't played a lot. So this year, we all know what we're capable of, and like we're communicating a lot more. We know where we're working to, uh, what steps to use, how to do it, how to like get on the hip and move people. And I think it just all comes back to confidence and believing in ourselves. And it looks like it's working out well because obviously against Mercer, it's raining. You guys aren't passing as much as you expected. You guys mm-hmm. ran the ball a lot, and you were gaining over three yards per carry against the Bears. And so being able to do that against a team that they haven't played yet, but they're very fresh, 
and they've got a brand new team that they're running a triple option, so the defense is really getting worn out, and you guys are having to do kind of the same thing Mm -hmm. on the other end and give the defense a little bit of a rest. Tell me about what it was like playing Mercer, especially just in that downpour the Delta sent our way. (laughs) Let me tell you, that was was different. (laughs) I felt like I was in a shower for three hours. Oh, I, you know, it, we knew going in that it was, it was going to be raining and we, our game plan wasn't to run the ball, like a bunch, but like we knew that if we, if we had to put the ball on the ground, like we were going to get it done. Like that wasn't like, that wasn't a question. And, and so, you know, all week we were, we were talking about like the plays we were going to run and stuff, you know? And so I think in the third quarter we were trying to pass it some, but you know, that's when it hit us, like the, the monsoon came, but you know, it was all about just dominating the man in front of you, and that's the mindset we took in. And and I mean, three yards of carry are good. I think we want to average like around four and a half, because you know, that's like I think that's like what our goal is every week to rush like at least four and a half per carry. But I mean, we got the job done, and at the end of the day, a win's a win. When I talked to Trey Barry last week, I asked him about Florida State, and he said, you know, you you go into this big game against a BCS team and he talked about how once you got out there on the field they're just another college football player you know that he he didn't look at it as this is a Florida State Mm -hmm. guy he he said you know when we got out there and we played them you realize that they're just another guy what was it like for you on the O-line last week against Florida State so that was the first game I had coming back from my knee injury and so for me I look at everybody's the same, you know. They put their pants on one layer time like me, you know. They work they work just as hard as I do, you know. They just said they're just at a school that has more scholarships. So I I don't I was I'm not gonna lie, I was a little bit nervous going into that game because that, this is the first big school I've ever played. And you know, and like we walk in that stadium, that stadium's massive and you're like, Wow, I'm really here. Like I'm about to play Florida State. But, you know, going in I was like, you know what? Like if I dominate him we're going to move the ball. So that's the mindset I had to just dominate the person in front of me. Going from Florida State in week one to Mercer in week two, I think it was fairly obvious that during that second half, it looked like you guys kind of ran out of gas. Against Mercer, you held it together well in that second half. You had one game under your belt. Mercer hadn't played yet, mm-hmm. so they were in the same boat that we were two weeks ago against the Seminoles. How big of a jump did you see in stamina and being able to play four quarters between week one and week two? It was like what Coach Grodd said after the Florida State game. Uh, they, they they had played two games before they played us, and that was our first game, and they were more in game shape than we were. So I think it came to a factor of, like, we had to play four quarters, and I think the game the game speed and the game shape, we got, we got back into that mode, and I think that played a factor into, into the second half that we knew we could keep pushing and we could get the job done. We weren't going to stall out or burn out in the second half. And you'd also talked about that Florida State was your first game back after injury. You started 11 games last year. You were a all-OVC second-team selection. You were a 2020 preseason all-OVC selection. But like you mentioned, you're, you're coming back from injury and knee injury. Tell me about that injury, how it happened, and then you also mentioned a few setbacks over the summer and trying to get back into action. Tell me about that saga. So we were playing uh, Tennessee Tech at Tennessee Tech, and I think what happened was they ran – it was a, an in and tackle twist, and me and the guard got off level. So when you get off level, you have to stay on your guy because you can't pass it off. 
and he dove to tackle uh, Cooper, Zarek. And when he did, I was hold, I was like holding on to him, and I went down and I planted with my le- inside or my leg, and my knee just buckled out. And as soon as it happened, I felt something pop, and then my whole leg was burning. And so, I I, I didn't know what was going on because I'm not a doctor, but I just knew something did, something didn't feel right. I was just laying there. I was like, this ain't good. And so they get me over to the tent, and then our team doctors, everybody's checking up on me. And they're like, we think it's just your MCL. So I'm okay. Like, let's give me some medicine. I'm, I'm about to go back in. Like, I'm not about to sit here on the sidelines. And, but then about they like, they're like, take a couple plays off. Like, let's let it calm down. And I, I gave it like five minutes, and I couldn't even stand up. I was hurting. So I go back, and then on Monday, we go get an MRI. And, of course, they told me I completely tore my ACL. So, you know, that was kind of like – it was devastating. But at the same time, like, I think my dad took it – my dad took it more, like, devastating than I did because, you know, like, I was having a really good season and I was playing really well. But, I, I, but we talked and I was like, you know, this is a common injury for offensive linemen. Like, it happens. I mean, there's nothing I can do now except, you know, just get surgery and rehab it. So I had surgery on November 22nd. And so I think right around March – we get sent home at mid-March, sent home for coronavirus. And so like, I'm, I'm three months into therapy at this point. And, like, so that was the that was the first setback I had because I couldn't do therapy every day and I was missing, like, treatment. And I felt like that was, that was pretty devastating for me because I was like, I need this because I want to get back to where I was and get better, you know. So that was something that kind of, like, frustrated me at first. But I was like, you know what, like, I'm just going to have to overcome this obstacle. And so – I, every day or every like every other day or every day I drove up here from back and forth from Fort Payne every day just to get treatment every day and so then we come back in uh May I think I'm not sure and we're here for like two weeks three four weeks maybe a month I'm not sure and then we get sent home a second time I know and so that that was hard for me again because like I just took my knee test right before we came back and I didn't pass it because my knee wasn't strong enough. And so I knew I had to keep rehabbing it and do a lot of like single leg work stuff to get my, my muscles stronger. And so we come back for camp and I took my knee test again and I passed it. But the biggest thing that I think helped me like in this was we didn't play till October. So even though I passed my knee test, I could still practice and get, get more confidence in my knee and trust it more. And I think not playing till October helped me out more so as a as a, in the aspect of trusting my knee and getting it back, getting the confidence back that I could do this and keep playing. Do you have that confidence, or is it still kind of in the back of your mind? I I see it a lot with, um, say, softball players mm-hmm. that whenever a pitcher tears an ACL or whoever it is, they wear a brace, and even after they have completely gotten over the injury, it's kind of like a crutch. Do you do you have that same kind of feeling, or do you have that confidence back? Uh, well, I, I tore my ACL in a brace, mm-hmm. but. At the same time, like Florida State, you know, I was I was skeptical about it because I was like, you know, like I don't know how it's gonna do because like, like I, I I get a lot of reps in practice, but like again, like they're not game reps, you know. So it's like, and so Florida State, I was still skeptical, but when we played Mercer, I had I wasn't even thinking about it. I was just out there playing, and I think like I think that Mercer game, it's really gave me the like the confidence I have in my knee that you know what, like it's fine, like I can still play, I can still be dominant and everything but I don't think the brace is much of a crutch it's more like they're just like for more support and more like stability and stuff 
because like at first when I was working out in the weight room doing rehab, I would wear it just to keep my knee like stable. But now I I don't wear it in the weight room and stuff because I my muscles are strong enough to support me and stuff. So now I'm I'm good without the brace on. It's just we wear them in the games for like safety reasons to keep us safe. Trey Berry called coronavirus somewhat of a blessing in disguise. You and Trey were able to get a hardship yeah. to stay on campus and work with Mike Pulasic, the athletic trainer, mm-hmm. during that time. And so even though you've got this pandemic going on, you guys are able to stay on campus. You are able to do your rehab. How important was that to where there's a lot of guys on the team that enabled to stay in shape. They were trying to find gyms and high school gyms that were open here and there. What did yeah. it mean to you to be able to be able to use the weight room and be able to rehab with Mike personally on campus and it be just the two of you? See, that's the thing, you know, when they say everything happens for a reason, I think, you know, that was like one of the reasons that it happened was because, you know, like the pandemic hit, gyms are closed, you can't really do anything. And, you know, we're, we get a medical hardship to come do rehab and we have we need we need access to weights and stuff so we can get our muscles build our muscles up you know and so i felt like that in a way it did i didn't get set back as much as other people because i'm still using weights i'm still running i'm still like trying to like, get my knee and stuff so you know in a way it really was a blessing to disguise because we we still we still had access to everything uh that uh, other other students athletes didn't get access to Another big question I asked Trey Berry was, since it gave you that time to rehab, and then once you guys got back into fall camp mode, you were able to avoid Muscle Beach. Yeah, 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 Muscle Beach. That's that's different. (laughs) Good ab workout, I'll tell you that. I don't know if I ever get a six-pack from it, but they try. (laughs) Tell tell me what Muscle Beach is. So it's it's for the the, uh, players that, are not practicing that day so one period it's a 10 minute period so we have individuals that's where we go to our position group we work like indie like individual like position group things and while they're in that we go with coach Halford in the corner and we do do about anything he can come up with from <laughs> six inches to flutter kicks to planks to uh sit-ups push-ups everything and it's just for 10 minutes just straight core and and push-ups <laughs> now this week you go into UNA short drive up to Florence, Alabama, and they have recently joined the D1 ranks. You've played them before, and it's an old Gulf South Conference rival that Coach Gross was talking about during the presser. Do the younger guys and you understand the level of significance that UNA is, or is it something to where when you guys come in, UNA is just another opponent that you don't have that history with? Tell me about UNA. Well, I mean, I I know from like the past the Gulf South rivalry and stuff like I, I've known about that and like I think the last time we played them at their stadium was like 1992. Mm-hmm. I think that was for the national championship if I think if I'm right. Uh, but you know, every week is is they're a faceless opponent. It don't matter who it is. Like that's what Coach Gross preaches to us. Like a faceless opponent. It doesn't matter. But at the same time, this is a is it is a, a a big game for I feel like recruiting as well because you know they're in state. And if we beat them, that gives us the upper hand in recruiting because nobody wants to go to a team that loses. So I feel like that's that's a big factor in it too, is recruiting-wise. But, I mean, it's a big game still just because it's an old rivalry for us. 
how much of a relief is it that you guys know that you only have to be on the bus for a few hours on this drive as opposed to Florida State, which was six to seven hours? Uh, that's nice. You get st- you get stiff on the buses, <laughs> let me tell you. Especially when you're a big guy and you can't move around. You're just sitting there crammed up. You get pretty stiff, but it's nice when you get them short bus rides. Is it nice having Dr. Harrison on the bus oh, for that? Oh, yeah. Get the chiropractor going. <laughs> yeah. You get off the bus, get popped and loosened up. That's nice. Well, Michael, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast with us this week. Best of luck at UNA this Saturday. Appreciate it. Thank you. That'll do it for this week's edition of Behind the Beak. I hope that you and yours are healthy, and I will talk to you again next week. I'll be back Tuesday with a brand new episode and another guest. So for Avery Davis, I am Tyler Brown saying thank you for listening, and go Gamecocks. This has been Behind the Beak, the official podcast of Jacksonville State Athletics. Look for new episodes each week or browse the archives on the Apple Podcast app or by visiting jsugamecocksports.com. For more on Jacksonville State Athletics, visit the official website of the Gamecocks, jsugamecocksports.com, and follow JSU on social media by searching at JSU Gamecocks on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.